Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Wednesday, and we're very glad you're here for the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is ready. We've got a little bit of good news today. The first martini is part good, part crazy. And the second one's really bad. And then the last one, of course, is crazy because that's the, the normal slot for the crazy. Rob Long, uh, contributing editor, National Review, co-founder of Ricochet, co-host of the Glop podcast, and for Jim Garrity again today. Jim is on vacation this week. And uh, Rob, for, gosh, at least a couple of hours, it looked like we had a full good martini yesterday, but it's 2020 and, well, we just can't have that this year. Uh, but yesterday in the early evening, I think it was, we got a joint statement from U.S. Attorney Jay Town, sounds like a movie name, and FBI Special Agent in Charge Johnny Sharp Jr. regarding the alleged noose found in the Talladega garage of NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace. And the good news is there's no hate crime. They say, quote, on Monday, 15 FBI special agents conducted numerous interviews regarding the situation at Talladega Super Speedway. After a thorough review of the facts and evidence surrounding this event, we have concluded that no federal crime was committed. The FBI learned that garage number four, where the noose was found, was assigned to Bubba Wallace last week. The investigation also revealed evidence, including authentic video confirmed by NASCAR, that the noose found in the garage number four was in that garage as early as October 2019. Although the noose is now known to have been in garage number four in 2019, nobody could have known Mr. Wallace would be assigned to garage number four last week. The decision not to pursue federal charges is proper after reviewing all available facts and all applicable federal laws. Thanks to everyone who cooperated. And so, great. This wasn't a hate crime. There was no deliberate racism here. Let's all take a breath and exhale and celebrate the fact that this was not some heinous event. Nope, can't, can't do that. Can't do that. First, you got Bubba Wallace himself. Here's uh, Wallace talking with uh, Don Lemon, who's always the one who calms things down on CNN, uh, saying, no, I don't know how long it was there, man, but it's still a news, so it's still a problem. People that want to call it a garage pool and put out old videos and photos of, of, of knots being um, in, uh, in, in, in their, as their evidence. Go ahead. But from the evidence that we have, um, that I have, uh, it's a straight-up noose. The FBI has stated it was a noose over and over again. NASCAR leadership has stated that it was a noose. I can confirm that. I actually got evidence of what was hanging in my garage, over my car, around my picker, guys, to confirm that it was a noose. Here's Al Sharpton this morning on MSNBC saying that uh, it's still a huge, huge problem because uh, somebody had to have known Bubba Wallace was going to have that stall. It was a noose, so... The question is, even if they did not know that Bubba Wallace was going to use that stall, why was a noose in the stall? It's clear what a noose represents. And I think to, to go whether or not they knew that sooner or later the one black driver would use that stall really doesn't answer why it was in the stall at all. And then did someone know that it was in the stall when they did belatedly assigned Bubba there. So I don't think this answers a lot of questions. And clearly from what we just saw of Bubba Wallace, it does not seem he, who is the victim and possible target in this matter, seems to be satisfied with this. So I do not think that we've seen closure in this particular uh, inquiry. Rob, we can't just have nice things anymore. So what do you make of the fact that uh, this is a garage pull. I mean, people have these straps on their garage doors, especially if it's not a power garage door. 
every garage at Talladega seemed to have one based on the photos and the video that I saw. And yet we still have to make this a big thing. Why can't we celebrate that this wasn't what uh, our worst fears suggested it might be? Well, wait, let's stick for the good news for a second. Yes, exactly. Right? Like, this is the good news for a second. The good news, I mean, it depends on what side you're on, obviously, how much good news there is. The good news is that, it, that there was no such thing. Uh, the good news is that um, NASCAR acted very quickly, uh, as an organization should. And then the good news is that we've now entered the Al Sharpton phase <laughs> of the crisis, which is always a sign that maybe it's about over or it's seen its best days. Look, there, there is, I mean, look, I'm trying to be nice here, but the reason there's pushback from, I mean, look, look, it was, there were a lot of people at the time saying, I think it's a garage door pull. And the idea that people at, uh, there were people at NASCAR or a NASCAR driver who did not recognize a, uh, a garage door pull when they saw one is unusual. Um, but all right. So like they didn't recognize it and then it turned out it was fine that there's a disappointment in people who um, create television drama for the fact that this is not a drama. Um, they, they like this. They don't, it doesn't have any effect on them. If you're Don Lemon or you're those people on TV, it doesn't have has zero effect on your life if there was a news there or if there wasn't a news in reality. But if there was a news, it makes for great TV and that's what they want. They want drama. These guys are drama queens. Start and finish, that's all they want. And when you've taken it away from them, they don't know what to do, so they get mad. And so now I think probably this, this week there'll be a desperate search for other things about NASCAR that you can claim are racist uh, so we don't have to talk about this. This can just be something, one, one of those phrases they use when they say, um, uh, to be sure, uh, there are still questions about whether the, the veracity of the noose. But you know, critics of NASCAR say there are other abuses, and they'll go on to something else. But they... But at least we've got, we've, you know, we've tried to, we're trying to pitch a tent in the wind here. We at least have one corner down. That's pretty good. So is this the equivalent that, that the story won't go away and some people are trying to keep fanning it? Is this the equivalent of, well, maybe nobody can verify Christine Blasey Ford, but let me tell you about Georgetown Prep. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what that is. Yes, except I think in this case, it's more, um, we want, we, it, it, the, the conversation has, has moved to sort of the private realm. We're not going to ask for any public action now because we know that's not true. But this is, we're going to justify all of that by talking about um, some other thing that we can come up with NASCAR. They, you know, they don't like NASCAR anyway. So it's not, again, this has a zero impact on them. You know, we, we, we always hear these things from people that it's time for us to have difficult conversations. Let's have difficult conversations. Well, here's a difficult conversation. Why is everyone so disappointed that this is not a racist act? What kind of creepy relationship are you in with the world that you desperately need these things just to make yourself happy? That's a difficult conversation that we won't have. Absolutely amazing. Here's my exit question on this one, Rob. Um, I don't think you and I are huge fans of, of Jesse Jackson, but at times I believe he's gone to different countries and helped to free Americans. So at least somewhere on his resume is a positive accomplishment. Is there any situation you can remember where Al Sharpton has helped a situation? <laughs> no. I mean, he's even caught, you know, remember he used to be very, so much larger. So he's even <laughs> like, he's even cost the big and tall stores. Uh, they no longer have the Al Sharpton wing. Look, I, no, I don't think so. And I, it's, 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 it's also sad right now with Jesse Jackson. I mean, I mean can you imagine? We're, we're now talking. Jesse Jackson, among other things, was a great patriot. He ran for president. 
And he ran ably, by the way. He ran some very good campaigns. He didn't win, but he ran, and he gave speeches at the Democratic Convention that were very moving and powerful. Um, and he was, he, he's a patriot. Now, he seems like a figure from another time. Um, but he managed to move through the corridors of power without looking like a moron or a crazy person uh, or, or a guy on the make. And uh, unfortunately, Al Sharpton is sort of the, um, he's the cartoon version of Jesse Jackson. He's the, you know, when they were to have the cartoon version of a TV show, that's what, that's what Al Sharpton is. He's the least consequential leader, I think, I can imagine. Uh, and he's exactly the wrong person at the wrong time, which is which hard to do, but he's done it. All right, let's move on to our bad martini now. And again, that was the good martini, at least. Yeah, right. Let's <laughs> remind everybody. The good news is that this terrible thing didn't happen. Yes, exactly. And that's worth celebrating. So let's not lose that in the insanity of, of some on the left not willing to just accept that and, and call it a win. So there's obviously a, an ongoing push for police reform. Some are doing it at the local level. Some are doing it at the state level. Others are trying to do it at the federal level. We talked about Tim Scott last week uh, and his bill. Democrats uh, don't like that. Over in the House, Nancy Pelosi wants to go much farther than what Tim Scott wants to do. And she says if Republicans don't go along, it really exposes uh, something about where they stand on this issue. Here's what she had to say in an interview with CBS Radio. For something to happen, they're going to have to face the realities of police brutality, the rallies of the need for justice in policing, and the recognition that there are many, many good people in, in um, law enforcement, but not all, and that we have to address those concerns. Uh, so when they admit that and, and have some suggestions that are worthy of consideration, but so far they were trying to get away with murder, actually, the murder of George Floyd. Rob, I mean, we see incendiary political rhetoric all the time. I don't know that we really need to have the vapors as often as we do a lot of the times. But Nancy Pelosi literally saying the Republican Party is trying to get away with the murder of George Floyd tells me she doesn't really want to get something done. She wants it as a campaign issue. How do you see this? First of all, I have to take it back what I said about uh, Al Sharpton. He, he's not the wrongest person for the wrongest time. It's probably Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> um, look, you got to separate these things first, right? Uh, one, just there's the media part, which is that, you know, if you are a Republican or a conservative or a center or even a moderate conservative, center right conservative, you are, as John Portorz has said often enough, you're bilingual. You have to speak their language and your own language. You have to speak liberal and you have to speak conservative. And you have to understand that there are two standards for that kind of speech, that uh, um, a crackpot incendiary um, speech by President Trump is it's crackpot and incendiary, and it is almost always accompanied by a breaking news or a Twitter alert or some, some shock and pearl clutching from the media. Um, and from the left, especially from Nancy Pelosi, it never is. It never is. It's not just every now and then they, uh, they call a foul on her. They never and the idea that somehow Donald Trump sprung out of nowhere, sui generis, as they say, I can probably pronounce that right, um, into, a, into a, a, a peaceful and moderate and 
uh, civilized political discourse and just you know banged his spoon on the high chair and made trouble is ludicrous to everybody, even to his and should be to his detractors too. Nancy Pelosi has tox- been part of the toxification of the political speech and political discourse in this country, and she she bears all the responsibility for it. I mean, all of it, but all of hers, she bears and she should, and she'd be called to account on this stuff and she's never gonna. And, um, and in that respect, it's just, it, it, once again, it, it reconfirms my, um, my political uh, belief and my, my political charge for the country, which is that every single elected person in America should be replaced. Everyone, there's not one that I would keep. I'd throw them all out. I know there'll be some good people thrown out too, but I clean sweep, all of them gone uh, from the top, to down to the bottom from the, the New York City City Council to the mayor to the governor to the president of the United States and everybody in between, especially the Speaker of the House. These people are not, they are unfit for the job. I don't know if you've seen the meme, and it's not going to change anybody's vote probably, but you've seen the, the meme of uh, Joe Biden in, in Washington for 44 years in office and Chuck Schumer for 40 and Nancy Pelosi for 34. And they're the ones saying, vote for us, we'll bring change. Well, yeah, that's a great, you know, uh, there's a great governor of, of uh, Iowa who uh, uh, ran on a change ticket. And then, you know, after two terms, he couldn't run on the change ticket anymore. So <laughs> the, the, his slogan was reelect change. So that's where we are. Always beyond message. That's the, uh, that's mm-hmm. the lesson from that. But uh, so the other thing here, you know, we hit the media in the first Martin. We might as well hit him again here. Uh, this interview with CBS Radio, she says that. That's the last thing she says in her answer. It's not like she went on to another paragraph or two about what she would no, like no. to see in the legislation. She ends with that. The Republican Party is trying to get away with the murder of George Floyd. And he just moves on to the next question. It's like she uh, said A, B, C, and D instead of, uh, yeah, the other party wants to get away with murder. Sure. And if you point out that the, actually the murder of George Floyd took place in a democratically controlled state and a democratic mayor, very liberal democratic mayor, democratic city council, if you actually mention any of that stuff, you're considered partisan. I mean, look, I expect politicians to turn an event into political fodder. That's kind of what they do. But there should be lines and there should be an, there should be an understanding that eventually you have to sit down and make sausage out of this. And if you... Uh, somehow, if you if you got to where Nancy Pelosi is, has gotten twice now, by the way, this is her second stint as Speaker of the House, then surely you know how it's made. There's not much that she's doing right now that is, put it this way, does, is anything she said yesterday going to help the country? And the answer is no. And we say that a lot about Donald Trump. We hold him that standard, and we're right to. But we should also hold Nancy Pelosi up to that standard and Chuck Schumer up to that standard and all the other sort of liberal, you know, Easter Island statues. They should be held to the same standard. Uh, and they're not. And it's, it's hard to sw- finger wag at Donald Trump and the, and the MAGA hat crowd and say, you know, you guys got to clean up your act if the other side not only refuses to do it, but gleefully and without penalty does it. So end uh, rant. But that's sort of like, you know, <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. This is a very bad martini. It definitely is. Uh, but she said there, Rob, as we head into our crazy martini, <laughs> that you want everybody out and new people in. Well, we are going to get some new people yeah. in Congress. Whether they're an upgrade is a uh, different story. Uh, this is a two-pronged crazy martini because we just haven't had enough crazies. But yesterday was primary day in a number of states. Uh, new York and Kentucky are the ones we're going to talk mm-hmm. about here. 
And Elliot Engel, longtime congressman from uh, partly New York City, partly Westchester County, looks to have been defeated by a AOC endorsed candidate named Jamal Bowman. I believe he's been uh, an educator mm -hmm. uh, in the education realm and votes are trickling in, which is part of our crazy martini here, but it looks like he has been defeated. He was first elected in 1988, pretty much a lockstep liberal on every issue except Israel, very strongly uh, defensive of Israel. Uh, Carolyn Maloney, another congresswoman from your area, is at least in trouble. A lot of folks think once the absentees from Westchester come in that she'll probably hang on in the primary, but that is yet to be determined. It's gonna be a long vote count there. Then over in Kentucky, we have the primary to see who will take on Mitch McConnell in the fall for that Senate seat. And we've got Amy McGrath, the military veteran, and she's up against kind of an AOC, Bernie Sanders type. Uh, his name is Booker, not Corey. There's, there's a different Booker in, in Kentucky. Different, different, yeah. And that's uh, con considered to be a slight McGrath lead, but only 10% of the vote in. So here's the two-pronged crazy martini. New blood is coming in. Rob, but it's going to be even crazier blood in some of these things. We're going to get some AOC clones instead of yeah. uh, people who might actually be looking to solve some things. And then we have this issue of vote counts not coming in for days. And I'm guessing in a presidential election later this year would possibly take weeks. And so if you have someone who looks to be safely in the lead after a couple of days, and then all of a sudden ballots start pouring in from areas that are favorable to the other person, you're going to get a lot of people very suspicious of the results. And this is going to be a potential mess. Working backwards, yeah, it'll be a potential mess. It's strange to me because some of these districts aren't that big that there's this sort of, uh, 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 I don't know whether it's excess of caution or something, but it's hard to understand exactly why it took so long um, in some of these places. Um, partly it could be because um, people didn't believe it was really happening. Um, interesting thing about Elliot Engel is, of course, this is exactly how he got into Congress in the first place a million, billion, trillion years ago. He upset a longtime Democratic power figure at the time, who I think was, uh, was, was, um, <laughs> was indicted for bribery. And then the, um, the, the, but the Democratic machine in the Bronx decided to keep his name on the ballot because they figured people would vote for him anyway. Uh, and they, <laughs> turns out people don't. They don't vote for a guy who's um, indicted for bribery. Um, or he might have been convicted. I can't quite remember. Either way, Elliot Engel came in in an upset. And then this is sort of the, 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 the biblical version of this is that then he's upset too. So it's politics as usual in the Bronx for him to be turfed out. Um, it just, the, the cycles take a little longer. So we tend to forget. I, I think it is a problem that we, we seem to be unable to do a thing that we used to be able to do pretty quickly, but maybe we're doing it better now. So I'm, I'm holding, I'm, I'm, su I'm suggesting that maybe what we all need to do is to remind ourselves that th this could be accuracy in action and not inaccuracy in action. I mean, I know that's a Pollyanna view, but you know, let's cling to some good things. Um, the other issue, I mean, and I, look, I think it's also interesting that the AOC endorsed candidate won, but also the Trump-endorsed congressional candidate in North Carolina 11 didn't win. Young, kind of 24-year-old upstart, you know, super handsome dude, uh, uh, a paraplegic in a wheelchair. You know, he's got, you know, if you're going to be super, super cynical, he's got a lot, there's a lot of photogenic qualities to him in a, um, in a district in the far west of of uh, North Carolina, uh, you know, uh, pretty close to Knoxville. So uh, there is a sense here. I mean, if I were an incumbent in any election, in any uh, office in November, I would see the wave here that I, I think it's, 
it's a, it is a, feels to me like a change election. Um, and that's going to be good and bad for everyone because it's, you know, some of our favorites are going to go and some of our least favorites are going to go too. And they may be replaced, it's true, by crazies. In general, the, once you put the crazies in charge, they tend to sort of figure it out. So I, I still have a, uh, again, these are optim- I'm giving you the optimistic loss. And the <laughs> optimistic, optimistic loss is that, that, um, that change, especially now, especially in the federal government, is probably um, not an unmitigated good thing, but a net good thing. If the people who are in the streets are the people putting these people in the office, I'm not sure that <laughs> well, getting them to figure stuff out is the goal. But uh, <laughs> we don't know. We don't know that yet. Let's 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 just take a wait and see attitude. Oh, <laughs> uh, see, you're being less cynical than me. Then I'm starting to feel a little bit Fine. guilty now. Officially, there's less than half of the votes counted in the Engel race, so I'm not sure that that's yeah. been technically called. Everybody seems to think it's a foregone conclusion. But uh, Rob, 186. Thousand plus absentee ballots sent out just in the Engel mm-hmm. district alone. So uh, mm-hmm. you know how we used to make fun of like the Eastern Bloc countries when they were just coming out of the, the Iron Curtain. Uh, it took them several days to count their ballots and thought they were so behind. Well, yeah. Well, guess where we, guess where we are. <laughs> the, right. And the question is why? Why is it happening now? Is it that the absentee ballots take x you know x plus so many more minutes to count? I mean, we 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 kind of need to know how they're counting them and why it's taking longer than it did in the past. And I think it is, it is highly possible. I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm still trying to keep positive that the reason it's taking longer is because they're doing it better. I hope so. See, Rob, it's your, it's your optimism that yeah. you bring to the table in, in a cynical world that we value in a, in a difficult time such as this. So thank exactly you. Exactly right. You're welcome. <laughs> disabusing me of my knee jerk cynicism there. Uh, Literally, that is the first time anyone said that to me. So we know, we know we're close to the end times. We will see. But uh, I'm sure we won't have any crazies tomorrow. I'm just, just sure of it. Tomorrow's going to be a great day. Rob, have a great one. See you tomorrow. Thanks. See you soon. Rob Long, contributing editor, National Review, co-founder of Ricochet, co-host of the Glop podcast. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Also, get us on those government surveillance devices for some reason you've allowed into your homes. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.